Father God, thank you so much for tonight. We already praise you for your worship, for the worship and that we get to sing loudly to you. I pray for new visitors here tonight that are maybe thinking this is interesting or I've never experienced this before. Lord, I just pray that uh, your grace would be upon them and that they would feel welcomed here and that our students that are regulars here would do um, what you've called them to do. And that is to make disciples. That is to uh, go after the outcasts. That is to be kind, to love their neighbor. And I pray that we would display the love of Christ tonight. Lord, as we open up your word, we believe that this is the living word of God. And so help us to come to it with reverence, with reverence in our spirit, um, in our heart, and with our minds, that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers. I pray that our hungry souls would be fed, that you would feed me tonight from your word, and that we would uh, focus on Jesus and who he is, and that we would come to believe in him and emulate him in our lives. Lord, we love you, and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. What comes to your mind when I say the word, this is a rhetorical question, by the way, when I say the word, zeal? Zeal. It's not a word that we use typically. What does it mean? What comes to your mind when I say that person is zealous? He is zealous. The word zeal can be, maybe you could find a synonym for it as passion or the definition an earnest temper or an earnest attitude toward a specific end. And so another question is, what are you most zealous about? What are you most passionate about? What gets you excited? But not just excited mentally or, ah, that's cool. But like to the point where it moves you to action. Negatively, sometimes we are zealous for our own way, right? Mom tells you to do something and you in your righteous indignation that knows better says, no, I'm not going to do that, right? You are zealous to perform, to do what you want to do, to be independent. Every student's trial here tonight, right? We want our independence. Or think of Saul, the apostle Paul before he was saved. It said that he, he called himself, he was zealous in persecution of the church. So zeal can be good or bad. It depends on what you're zealous for or about, to what end. We live in a world of zealous people. But what matters is what are you most zealous about? What gets you most excited? What are you most passionate about? We're going to be in John chapter 2 tonight, so I'd like you to turn to John chapter 2. We've seen the zeal of Solomon to build the temple. He has been wanting to do that, and so he gathered supplies. That's 1 Kings 5. Then he started the building project. That's 1 Kings 6. And then he put the furniture in the the temple. That's 1 Kings 7. 
And so we've seen this last few weeks. Zeal. If you've been watching March Madness, you've seen the zeal of those athletes to win, right? They're zealous to win. And many of us were zealous to win the $50 Amazon gift card, but our brackets have already been busted, right? All right. Some, some of you are still in it. I haven't checked. I think Lincoln's in first right now. So Ballard, all right, you, could, you could do it. He picked Duke, so we'll see. He's very zealous. See? Move to action to the point where he would yell out on a Wednesday night. John chapter 2. John chapter 2. Tonight, what I want to do, we've been focusing on Solomon. We've been focusing on the Old Testament. And every single sermon and every single Wednesday night since the moment that I've got here, I've tried my best to preach Christ and to preach the gospel. Christ is the application to every single passage in all of Scripture. And so we've been trying to show how Jesus is the better temple. And tonight, I'm just going to anchor us down in the text where we get that. John chapter 2. And I want to zoom in. My whole goal is just to zoom in on Jesus. Who is Jesus? What is he like? How does he view the temple? And how, should that, how does that confront us? I want to be confronted by Jesus tonight. And so my goal, to put it in a sentence, is to focus your attention on Jesus to produce a zeal for God, to produce a zeal for God, to focus your attention on Jesus, to produce a zeal for God. That's the title of my sermon, Zeal for God. That's what we were made for. That's what we must be zealous for. Let's look at the text together. John chapter two. Look at Start in verse 12. After this, he went down to Capernaum with his mother and his brothers and his disciples, and they stayed there for a few days. The Passover of the Jews was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found those who were selling oxen and sheep and pigeons, and the money changers sitting there, and making a whip of cords, he drove them all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. And he poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. And he told those who sold the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. His disciples remembered that it was written in Psalm 69, verse 9, zeal for that your house will consume me. So the Jews said to him, by what authority, what sign do you show us for doing these things? So in other words, give credibility to what you're doing here. How do we know that you're really like a prophet that has authority to just cleanse the temple like this, to just purge the temple like this? Verse 19, here's his answer. Jesus answered them, destroy this temple and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple and will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed 
the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. My goal is to focus your attention on Jesus in order to produce a zeal for God in you. And so, what is the context here? Why does Jesus react in such a way? Gentle and lowly Jesus. Making a whip and driving out People and oxen and birds and money changers yelling at people. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. Consumed with zeal. And then who has the audacity to call the temple the house of his father? If Jesus is saying that, he's saying God the father is my father. I am from God. I am the son of God. And who in the world could say that you're going to destroy the temple three days, raise it up? Why does Jesus respond the way that he does? And the main thing that we're going to see is that Jesus, why is Jesus so zealous? What is he zealous for? He's zealous for true worship Because the worship, the place of worship has been defiled. So the context here, you got to understand it's Passover week. Passover week was one of the biggest holidays. It's kind of like, it's way bigger than Easter. It's kind of like Easter in America or within the evangelical church. It's a big celebration, but even more so because the Passover has historical significance. This was a holy week. This was a week where millions of Jews from all over the Roman Empire would travel to Jerusalem to celebrate. And so Jesus goes to the temple and there's millions there. Not in the temple, but in Jerusalem and the surrounding areas. What did the Passover week signify? What was it about? If you remember, the Passover comes from Exodus. God sent 10 plagues on Pharaoh in order to send his people out. And the 10th plague was the worst plague. That plague, God, in his justice and righteousness sent the angel of death to kill every firstborn of every single family in all of Egypt and Israel, unless they took a male lamb without blemish, slaughtered it as a sacrifice, and painted its blood on the doorposts. And so as the angel of death came around the camp, it would bring judgment upon the families, who were not covered by the blood. But those who were covered by the blood, judgment and death passed over. It was a reminder of God's great salvation and his holiness and his justice and his righteousness. This is a sobering week. This is an important holiday. You got to understand that. This was a holiday of reverence. And so Jesus is going to the temple. And remember, the temple has three areas, designated areas, okay? There's the outer court. And then within that is the holy place. And then within the holy place, which is inside the temple, is the holy of holies. Now, the Jews or Gentiles or anyone, their main worship and sacrifices happen in the outer courts. Only priests were allowed into the holy place. And only the high priest was allowed into the holiest place. So picture our church. So you got our auditorium, 
the main auditorium, let's just say. You got the lobby and then you got the sidewalk. The sidewalk is the outer courts. The lobby is the holy place, only the priests in there, only the pastors, right? And then the holiest place is for the high priest. Only he could go in there, right? So you get the picture of what, you get the picture of what the temple was like. So the people are in the, in the outer courts. And in the outer courts was a place of prayer. It was a place where you would hear the, song, the psalms sung. It was a place where you would see people weeping over their sin. And making confession for sin. It was, it was a place where reconciliation happened between God and man. It was, it was a place of reverence, right? As we've been looking at. A place, the temple, what did it represent? It represented the beauty and glory and holiness of God. And so Jesus is going to the temple. He's going to worship. <laughs> He knows all things. He knows where he's going into. He's know where, where, what he's going into. And what does he see? Does he, does he hear the sound of people praying? Does he hear the sound of the Psalms? Does he see the tears of confession? No. He hears the bellowing and chirping of oxen and pigeons and people going, I'll give you a pigeon for $3, $3, no, four, four, sold to that man, right? It's a place of, of trade. They're selling. They're making money. And so because people are coming from all over Rome, they didn't bring the sacrifices with them or their animals with them to make a sacrifice. So they're going to make a profit on it, right? Might as well profit on God's holy place. It's a holy place. Therefore, people are coming. Let's sell these souvenirs, right? Let's exchange the glory of God for the glory of man and make it about us. Now you start to realize the zeal and righteous indignation that Jesus has when he gets there. What was meant for holy worship has now been turned into Wall Street. What was meant for a place of prayer has now turned into the Mall of Schomburg. A place of trade. A place of worldly commerce. A place of exploitation. Instead of worshiping God, selling. Consumerism. And you got to understand, these people that are selling, these people that are buying, taking part, these are religious Jews. These are people that knew better. That were defiling the temple. That were defiling the place of worship. They knew, yet they did it anyway. They got cavalier. They got complacent. They, become, they became irreverent. They did not fear God. I'm sure these religious people would try to justify themselves. Well, we're doing them a service. Now that they could sacrifice, they could worship. We're just drawing in the masses so that they could take part, right? We're just... We want them to take part. We want to draw them in. So we're going to sell. We're going to sell them these things to them. We're going to exchange money. Now, the exchangers, what that is, is they come with different coins and they need specific coins in order to pay the temple tax. It's as if you went, like when I went to the Philippines, I had to exchange my American dollars for Filipino money. All right, I had to get money. I had to exchange. So that's what's going on here. Or if you go to Europe, you need euros. So they're trading, they're dealing. They're mixing the worship of God with worldly practices. 
2 Corinthians 6.14. Paul says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? This is idolatry. For we are the temple of the living God, as, as God said. I will make my dwelling among them, and I will walk among them. I will be their God, they shall be my people. Therefore, go out from their midst and separate from them. There should be separation from the world and holy worship, says the Lord. And touch no unclean thing, then I will welcome you. I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord. Since we have these promises, what's our response, beloved? Let us cleanse ourselves from every defilement of body and spirit belonging, uh, bringing holiness to completion in the fear of God. See, they had mixed. They had become unequally yoked. The worship of God and the world, mixed. I wonder how Jesus feels about that. Look at verses 15 through 16. He sees this and he makes a whip of cords. See, I think most of us, we do have a right understanding of Jesus. He is gentle and lowly. He does move towards sinners with compassion. He is a, he is a lamb, but he also is the roaring lion. And making a whip of cords, that is a long whip and it's got lashes on it, Okay. He make a whip of cords and he drove them all out of the temple. Now, circle the word drove. The word drove means to forcibly move things out of. It means to expel. And sometimes it means using violence to do so. That's what that word means. Matthew 7, 22, there are people that come up to Jesus and they say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not, did we not do great miracles in your name? And Jesus says, uh, depart from me, for I never knew you. And I will cast you out. I will drive you out into outer darkness. It's the same word used there. Forced out. So Jesus forcibly <laughs> drives all, them all, out, not some, all out of the temple with the sheep and the oxen. The second thing he does is that he pours out the coins of the money changers. And overturn their tables. The word poured out. You want to circle that word poured out. This is all going to come back later. Poured out. That word means to. It means like talking of fluid. Like fluid or water spilling over. Like my wife. She makes these great protein shakes. And she was enjoying it one morning. And then she just knocked it. And it went everywhere. It spilled out. It poured out everywhere. And she was. Filled with righteous indignation, just like Jesus. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> a pouring out. Sometimes it's the same word used for to shed blood. They were quick to shed blood. Same word, poured out, shed. Make a mental note of that. So he drives them out. He pours out the coins, the money changers. No, this is not a defense of looting. Jesus didn't steal anything, okay? I'm sure there's some social justice warrior that has said, you know, Jesus looted. Look at it. Look at this. No, that's not what it's about. 16. What does he do? So he, he drives out. He pours out. He then 
turns over the tables. He overturns them. He flips them on their side. Verse 16, and then he commands those who sold the the pigeons, take these things away. Do not make my father's house a house of trade. He makes a whip. He drives. He pours out. He overturns. He commands. And how do the the disciples respond? They think of David, King David. They say, Zeal for your house will consume me. Here we have the true and better King David. He's come to purge out the wicked. To purge out the idolatries. To cleanse the temple. And what is the reason? Why? Why does Jesus do this? I love what D.A. Carson says. He's a theologian. He says, Instead of solemn dignity and the murmur of prayer, there is a bellowing of cattle and the bleeding of the sheep. Instead of brokenness and contrition, Holy adoration and prolonged petition, there is a noisy commerce. And so Jesus hears that and he's sickened by it. Just as you all in here are moved with zeal when you see injustice, right? I am. You are when you see injustice done, someone. Jesus, just because we can't stand the sight of that, Jesus can't stand the sight of the greatest injustice, which is exchanging the glory of God for the glory of man, which is idolatry, which is the defilement of God's place of worship. This is what was prophesied about Jesus, actually, in Malachi 3. So hundreds of years earlier, Malachi 3 one through three talks about this servant that's coming. And he says, behold, I send my servant and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek will suddenly come to his temple. And the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight, behold, he is coming saying the Lord of hosts. But who can endure the day of his coming? And who can stand when he appears? For he is like a refiner's fire and the, like the fuller's soap. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. And he will purify the sons of Levi and refine them like gold and silver. And they will bring offerings in righteousness to the Lord. There's one that will come that will purge and cleanse the temple while he is here. It is Jesus Christ, the roaring lion. Now let's apply this to our lives. What are you most passionate about? Do you share in the same zeal for God as your Savior does? If you are a Christian, you've been united to Jesus. All that is His is yours. All that He loves becomes what you love. All that He hates becomes what you hate. That's that's the effect of being transformed. Jesus is moved by a few specific things if you read the Gospels. He's moved with compassion towards sinners and sufferers, which, good news for you. If you're a sinner and a sufferer in here, Jesus is moved with compassion towards you. The other thing that Jesus is moved toward is is really he's moved against idolaters and the self-righteous. So if there are some of you in here that are relying on your own good works for salvation, you are opposed to Jesus, or Jesus, rather, is opposed to you. He confronts you. He comes with a whip of cords to drive out your pride, 
and to pour out discipline on, on you until you realize that you cannot do it. Until he cleanses you. In the New Testament, here's, okay, there's no temple today, right? There's no physical temple that we see. So how does this apply to us in the 21st century in Rockford in 2022, as Colin said last week, right? How does this apply? Well, Paul in Ephesians 2 and 1 Corinthians 3 say that the church is the temple of God, the place of worship, and your body is a temple of the, of the Holy Spirit. So we have a corporate understanding of the temple and then an individual level. So the temple today is the church and your individual self, the body, if you are a Christian. But all of you were made to glorify God just as the temple was, was made to glorify God. And so if Jesus were to come to the church today, would he come with a cord of whips, with a whip of cords, to drive out the idolatry and the consumerism of the church today? Why do you come to church? Do you come with the same exact inclination of these people in here? You come to get you come to get something out of it rather than to give, that's consumerism. You go to Costco, right? You give them money and they give you good prices on gas. <laughs> you give, you get. It's consumerism. And so much of the church today is all about trying to meet the needs of carnal, wicked people by attracting them to come in and by selling them a fake bill of goods, saying, if you believe in Jesus, your life will be happy and dandy and you might get a BMW. Serious. It's consumerism. The church partners with the world to do worldly things in order to get worldly people into the church in order for them to become members so that they could give to the church, take their money. Not all churches do this, but a lot of them do. It's consumerism. Has that attitude infiltrated your own heart when you come on a Sunday morning? Do you go to get or to give? Do you go to, to get joy and happiness or to be confronted with the gospel, to be confronted with the word of God, and to be reminded of who you are in Jesus Christ if you're a believer. Do you come to serve the saints, or do you come to be served? Consumerism. Do you come for your feelings to be validated? Or to meet the living God? That's a good question for us. Jesus confronts much of the church today. Secondly, our bodies are a temple. So the church is in need of cleansing. We need to be cleansed of our man-centered worship and preaching and irreverence. We're very irreverent when it comes to God. Secondly, we are in need of cleansing. Our bodies are a temple. And so I have to ask the question, are we taking part in the modern day selling of our bodies in order to get affirmation from other people? I mean, that's exactly why Instagram was built. It was for you to display yourself and your body. And so you sell, what do you get in return? Likes, affirmation, compliments, 
Christians, I see Christians. I've seen some of you in here affirm godless things on social media. I've seen people in our group over the last five years affirm people coming out as homosexual and transgender. That is not fundamentally righteous. That is the type of thing that moves Jesus against you. That is what gets the lion roaring. Are you selling your body for goods? Makes maybe secret accounts. No one knows of, but only some people know of. So you have some secret accounts online that people can go and exploit you. You're selling your body as an object for people to look at, to enjoy. Or maybe you're taking part in the market by going to those that are exploiting their body. And you're taking part. You're not doing it, but you're taking part. You're enjoying it. And you know what I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians six eighteen says this. It says, verse 15, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of prostitutes? Never. Or do you not know that he, uh, or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Therefore, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price to glorify God with your body. I think we need to be cleansed. We need Jesus to cleanse us. That is the law. I'm giving you the law. The law exposes your need for a savior. And the guilt and shame that you feel right now, if you have taken part in this, you should feel guilt and shame. I feel guilt. I have felt guilt and shame. That's normal. That's a good thing. But it's not good unless you turn to Jesus. So the question then is, how can we be cleansed? How can we be cleansed? And I want to end with this. That's the application. But how can we be cleansed as believers and as unbelievers? Look at, let's finish the passage here in John chapter two. It's glorious. We've seen Jesus as the lion. Now let's see him as the lamb. So the Jews said to him, what sign do you show for doing these things? And Jesus answered them, destroy this temple. And in three days, I will raise it up. The Jews said, it has taken 46 years to build this temple. And will you raise it up in three days? But he was talking about the temple of his body. When therefore he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus has spoken. How can we be cleansed? By the temple. The temple was a place where the people would go to make atonement for their sins. Well, Jesus is the greater temple. He's everything the the temple was, but greater. Because the temple was a place where God resided with man. God with man. God, his presence amidst us. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the son of the living God. He is God, yet he is fully man. 
God with man. Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus is the temple. He is God and man. 100% God and 100% man, not 50-50. And no mixture. This is called the hypostatic union. Big word. What did Jesus, what did JT preach on? The hypostatic union. You could say that. The hypostatic what? It is that God is, that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Why did Jesus have to be fully God and fully man? Because God's justice demanded that a human nature must pay for human sin. So God is full, for, so Jesus is fully man. But he's fully God so that he might bear the full weight of wrath upon the cross for us in his human body. Jesus is the temple. As we learned last week, he's the pillars. He is the strength of God. He's the bread of life. He is the water basin that we wash in. He's the oxen that was slaughtered. When he was stabbed in his side, what came out? Water and blood. So we're washed in the blood of Jesus Christ. He is the priest that enters in for us. He is the sacrifice. He is the temple curtain pulled in two so that we have access to God. Jesus is everything the temple was. Now in human flesh, now walking on this earth who died for you and rose again, our living hope. Jesus is our great exchange. Though he formed a cord of, a whip of cords, later on in the story he would turn his back to be whipped for you. And just as he drove the people out of the temple, exile, banish, he would be taken out of the city and banished and forsaken by God. And just as he poured out the money changers, just as he poured out the coins, so his blood would be poured out for you. And just as he turned over the tables, all those who would trust in Jesus, he turns their life upside down. They deserve death, but now they're given life. He was the suffering king of Psalm 69 that said, The zeal for your house has consumed me, and the reproaches of those who reproach you have fallen on me. David said that, but the reproaches that we reproach God with, we slandered and blasphemed God, fell on Jesus instead of us. We deserve the wrath, but he took it. He was destroyed as our substitute. Jesus is the purest cleaning agent that cleanses us from all sin. That is your hope. So if you have committed egregious sin, you have defiled your body, you have a living hope in Jesus Christ. You do. And if you put your faith in him, he will cleanse you and he will wash you and he will pour out his grace upon you as white as snow. Come to Jesus, Zechariah 12.10 says this, And I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem a spirit of grace and pleas for mercy, so that when they look on me, on whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child and weeps bitterly over him as one weeps over a firstborn. Look to him whom you have pierced to find rest and cleansing for your soul. That is the message. That's what Jesus came to do. But if you do not do that, instead of 
God's grace being poured into your life, instead of sin being driven from you as far as the east is from the west, instead of your life being turned upside down for the best, instead of grace, it will be Jesus' justice that is poured out on you in the end. If you do not repent and trust in Jesus Christ, you will die in your sins. And Jesus, the roaring lion, the one who wields the whip, will pour out his justice upon you for all of eternity in hell. Hell forever. Do not leave tonight without responding in faith and repentance. Do what the disciples did. Last verse in our passage. This is my prayer for you. When therefore he was raised from the dead and Jesus is alive, his disciples remembered that he had said this and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus has spoken. You have heard the good news of the gospel tonight. Will you respond in the same way? Will you be cleansed? And then will you change your trajectory in life? Will you change and reorient your zeal and your passion towards God? Only in and through Jesus can a zeal for God be produced. The more you look to him, the more you see him as the roaring lion, but the gentle lamb, the more you will come to be zealous for the things that he is zealous for. The more in you will you, uh, the, more, the more will righteousness and the pursuit of holiness shape you. Your minds, it'll shape your heart, your minds. The more you go to his word and let the word wash over you and cleanse you, the more you will be conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That is my prayer. This is how Jesus is the greater temple. So, in two weeks when we go back to 1 Kings, you'll have a fuller picture. This is why we point you to Jesus. Run to him. Fly to him. Receive hope and cleansing in him tonight. Father God, thank you so much for this time.